I still can't believe I got to talk with the Scott Aronson. It's not every day a dumb college kid like me gets to ask one of the giants in the field questions, and I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Take it away, me from the past. Okay, so I have with me Dr. Scott Aronson, who is a professor of computer science at University of Texas, Austin. Um, Scott, thanks for coming on the show. Of course. Great to be here. Awesome. So uh, we're going to talk about complexity theory and your blog and a bunch of other stuff. Um, but before we jump into all that, could you give us a bit of your background, how you got into and interested in quantum computing? Well, I mean, I, uh, as a teenager, I wanted to make my own video games. That was kind of my uh, uh, dream in life. And that led me into uh, uh, computer science and finding out what programming was, which was already, you know, a revelation to me. And that led me uh, to finding out about Turing machines, about uh, the, the Church-Turing thesis, you know, about what kind of functions are computable uh, in our universe uh, to the P versus NP problem. And, you know, I got more and more drawn to the theoretical side of the field, partly just because I realized that other people were much better programmers than I was. And... Um, uh, um, um, and, and, you know, when I, I first heard about quantum computing, uh, and then from some popular article in the mid nineties, uh, shortly, it was about Shor's factoring algorithm, you know, shortly after that algorithm was discovered. And I remember my first reaction on learning about it was, this sounds like obvious garbage. This sounds like some physicists who just do not understand what they are up against. You know, the, 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 uh, the, you know, the fundamentals of computation are just not going to be changed that easily because of some, you know, uh, silly details about physics, right? Uh, but, you know, in order to be sure, I had to learn uh, what is this quantum mechanics? You know, what does it actually say about the world? And um, so I uh, was spent a summer at, at Bell Labs uh, just doing some programming that, you know, I'd nothing to do with quantum computing, but I, I started, my, my boss was nice enough to let me uh, spend time reading about quantum computing uh, during that internship. And, you know, the web itself was fairly new, but there were already websites about quantum computing. And I learned about uh, Shor's algorithm, about Grover's algorithm. And uh, I realized, wow, this, uh, you know, the, the, the quantum mechanics is a real thing. You know, it is something of, comparable enormity to, you know, the basic principles of computer science, right? And, you know, if you, if this is really true, if the world is really quantum mechanical, then, you know, the burden of proof is on anyone who thinks that a quantum computer is not possible, you know, why shouldn't it be possible, right? Uh, but I also realized that the popular articles were sort of overstating, you know, what a quantum computer would be able to do. And, you know, the truth of it was a lot more subtle you know, and ironically, to me, even more interesting than than the sort of simplistic picture that the popular articles were saying, you know, and so I learned more and more about it. I discovered that Lob Grover, the discoverer of Grover's algorithm, actually worked um, in the same building uh, at Bell Labs. So I went and talked to him. He offered me an internship with him uh, the next summer, which uh, I don't know why, you know, I was a complete <laughs> ignoramus at the time, but uh you know, and then, you know, and then it was during that internship that I sort of met students who were working on, you know, uh, who were seriously working in quantum computing and, you know, found out what was kind of the current state of the field. And um, I decided that this is what I want to do. I was lucky enough to be able to get to go to grad school at Berkeley uh, to work with Umesh Vazirani, who was one of, you know, the first computer scientists to think about quantum computing. And, um um, kind of fell in with his group, and um, I, you know, and that was that was 20 years ago, and uh, I guess I've been, I've been, uh, you know, it's remained interesting uh, 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 for for better or for worse. I've I've been doing it ever since. Huh. Yeah, that's a cool backstory, and one of the things that hasn't changed throughout all this time is that it seems like popular articles are still. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. You know, maybe, maybe if, if anything, things have gotten worse, you know, as yeah. uh, uh, as companies and governments, you know, and uh, uh, venture capitalists are actually making serious investments in this field. Right. There is more and more pressure to say, well, it's going to have all these world changing applications and it's going to have them like next year. You know, it's going to have them soon. You know, and 
whether or not that's true. You know, there's these enormous incentives for people to say that. And so, you know, a lot of what I've been doing on my blog for the past 15 years is trying to, you know, tell the truth as best as I can figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. And you know. you've, you've frequently railed against this, I, this common conception of quantum computing means uh, superposition. So zero and one at the same time. And therefore oh. quantum computers check all of the answers in parallel and give you the right one. Do you want to yes. rail about that a little bit more? And oh, then oh, oh, all right, all right. Well, why. well, I mean, I mean, I mean. First of all, quantum computers do mean you know uh, a computer whose state is a superposition, right? Uh, but but now we have to be careful about what the superposition means, right? And you know, the the, the I, I think this is where almost every popular article stumbles, right? Because you know it is a difficult concept to explain in everyday words, right? And there's an enormous temptation uh, because it sounds good, you know, just to say, well, superposition means everything at once. It means everything is being done in parallel, right? Well, the, the tricky part is, uh, you know, you, you know, you, you know, when you when you look at uh, uh, a, a quantum bit, a qubit, you know, even though it is a qubit, it is a superposition. You only see a single answer. You only see a zero or a one. You know, if you asked it if it's zero or one, it probabilistically chooses one or the other and then collapses to that, right? This is the famous collapse of the quantum state when, when someone measures it, right? So you don't actually see both, right? And so you can ask, well, what would happen if I created a superposition, an equal superposition over all the possible answers to my problem? Let's say I'm trying to solve, you know, the traveling salesman problem or some you know, combinatorial problem with some, you know, 10 to the 1000 power possible solutions, right? Some astronomical number of possible solutions. Well, can I create an equal superposition over all of those answers with my quantum computer? Yes, I can. That's not, that, 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 that's even very easy to do, right? I can do that. The trouble is for a computer to be useful, at some point we've got to look at it. We've got to read an answer, read an output. And if I just measured an equal superposition, not having done anything else, the rules of quantum mechanics tell me that all I'll see will be a random answer, right? Now, if I just wanted a random answer, I could have picked one myself with a lot less trouble. I could have just flipped a coin the appropriate number of times and you know, saved maybe billions of dollars in you know, building a quantum computer. Now, the, the entire hope of getting an advantage from a quantum computer is to exploit the way that superpositions are different from just a classical probability distribution. Okay. And the way that they're different is, well, you know, if I talk about the probability that something happens, right? I mean, even in, in the classical world, even without quantum mechanics, you know, we're very, very often we are uncertain about things, right? You know, we don't know who's going to win an election. We don't know if it's going to rain tomorrow. And so we sort of have in our minds a, a list of possibilities, right? A list of possible outcomes. And that is, that, that already is kind of like a superposition, right? But it's different, right? And, and the difference is this. If I just describe probabilities for each possible uh, way things could be, well, each probability is a real number. It's from between zero and one, right? You know, they all add up to one. And then, you know, I, uh, uh, and, 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 and you could always say, well, well, really it's one or the other, right? Really, I, we just don't know which, you know, if we knew more, then we would just say it's definitely one. But because we don't know, we say it's maybe it's 70% this, it's 30% that. And then we look and then we know for sure, right? Okay. Now, what is a superposition? A superposition is a g certain generalization of a probability distribution. Uh, so in, instead of uh, um, uh, assigning a, a probability to each possibility, we have to assign a number called an amplitude. Okay? And amplitudes are related to probabilities. You know, like the further away the amplitude is from zero, the more likely you are to see a certain state. But amplitudes are not probabilities. Um, in particular, they can be complex numbers. Okay? So they can be positive, negative. Or, you know, they can even involve, you know, uh, I. It can involve the square root of minus one. Okay, so 
uh, and and you know now the, the 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 rule is that when you look the the probability that you see some outcome is equal to the square of the absolute value of its amplitude right so when you look you know these amplitudes become probabilities so okay but when you're not looking uh, when 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 your quantum system when your qubits are isolated from the rest of the world then they have to be described by a list of amplitudes and the amplitudes follow different rules, okay? And the biggest difference uh, between amplitudes and probabilities is that amplitudes, you know, being complex numbers can interfere with each other, okay? So what do I mean by that? I mean, you know, let's say, you know, I'm interested in, in, in some possible outcome, you know, so some out, a certain output of my, of my quantum computer. Uh, you know, in order to find the amplitude for that output, uh, I have to add up a contribution from sort of every possible way of getting to that output, right? Each each possible way of getting there, each path will contribute something to the total amplitude. Okay, but now here's the key: if suppose that some of those contributions are positive and others are negative, right? Or suppose that some of them are, you know, uh, proportional to i, others are proportional to negative i, right? Then, you know, so they point in different directions in the complex plane. Then they will cancel each other out. Okay? As we say, they will interfere destructively. And the total, even though there were all these different contributions, the total amplitude could be zero, which means that that outcome will not be observed. Okay. Whereas if, if you have an, an, an amplitude where all the contributions to it are pointing the same direction, right? Like they're all positive or they're all negative, then they will reinforce each other, right? That's called constructive interference. Okay, so with every algorithm for a quantum computer, uh, the goal is to choreograph a pattern of interference so that for each wrong answer, you get destructive interference, right? The possible, you know, uh, uh, the contributions to its amplitude are canceling each other out, whereas for the right answer, you get constructive interference where all the different contributions are lining up, pointing the same way. You know, if you can arrange that, then you look and you see the right answer with a high probability, okay? The tricky part is you've got to do this even though you yourself don't know in advance which answer is the right one. You know, otherwise, what would be the point? And you've got to do it faster than a classical computer could do the same thing. Because, you know, again, you know, otherwise, uh, uh, who, who, who really cares? And, um, you know, so this is a really subtle power that nature is giving us, right? Like I say, like, it is weirder than any science fiction writer would have had the imagination to invent, you know? So, you know, it's not just try everything in parallel and nature, it will instantly tell you the best. It's, you know, you still have to work. You have to, you know, you get this, you know, so you, you can work with these superpositions involving an astronomical number of amplitudes. Right? Like if I have a thousand qubits, then the number of amplitudes that I need to describe the state of those qubits will be like two to the 1,000 power, okay? which is more than the number of subatomic particles in the known universe, okay? Uh, much more, right? Uh, but, but I don't get to see them all, right? All I get to see is a single outcome when I look, and I have to arrange this interference pattern in order to produce a large amplitude and therefore a large probability on the outcome that I want. Okay, so that, that was my five minute explanation of what quantum computing is, you know, after sort of, you know, explaining this, uh, uh, you know, to, you know, in talks and, you know, to journalists and, you know, for, for 15 years or so, I can get it down to five or 10 minutes. I have not been able to get it down shorter than that. Nice. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> we, we've gone over why, I mean, that, that's the answer to why people don't do the five minute, because you got to fit into, you know, a, cent, a sensor. Yeah, yeah no, I, 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 can, I can do it in five or six paragraphs, you know, in a popular <laughs> article. What I can't do is to do it in one sentence. Right, yeah. So yeah. on the flip side of that is like, well, these people are... are talking about this so much why do you focus on it so much and i guess rail against it so hard well well i i mean i don't i mean look i i work in quantum computing i mean i i i i 
I, I have railed against, you know, like uh, uh, flagrant misrepresentations of what quantum computing is about. But, you know, I also try to contribute something positive. It's, uh, uh, you know, I do, have, you know, in addition to my blog, I do have a whole research career, right? Okay. <laughs> um, you know, even if, if uh, uh, um, you know, uh, a lot of people only know me from, from you know, as a, as, a, as a blogger, right? But, um, um, I mean, I got into uh, uh, quantum computing because it seemed like, you know, I, I'm, you know, I, I, as I said, you know, I, I got really fascinated as a teenager by, you know, what are the ultimate limits of computation? You know, what, you know, not just uh, uh, what can we do today or, you know, uh, uh, but, but what, what, what will computers ever be able to do, right? And, you know, and what does that tell us about the universe, about the limits of knowledge itself, you know, about ourselves, about the mind? You know, I mean, these these are these were kind of the big questions that drew me into CS in the first place. And quantum computing really, you know, represents the sort of merger of, you know, the, the deepest questions in computer science with some of the deepest questions in physics. Right. And, you know, like once you understand it, then, you know, it becomes clear that from now on, these are not two separate things. Right. That that, you know, the the understanding the limits of computation, you know, is is going to be intimately bound up with with well, what are the actual laws of physics you know, that describe our world. Um, is quantum mechanics exactly true? You know, is it only an approximation to some deeper theory? You know, or is it is it exactly true? And, um, um, you know, is there uh, some, um, some principle on top of quantum mechanics that's going to sort of prevent us from, from sort of really seeing this exponentiality, you know, that is there in the equations, right? Or, or can it really be done? You know, my guess would be it can really be done, you know, because that, you know, but merely because that seems like the simplest possibility. And ironically, you know, the most boring possibility, right? It's the possibility where, you know, you don't have to change what's in the textbooks at all. But, you know, what quantum computing is doing is it's sort of rubbing people's faces in, you know, the full enormity of what quantum mechanics has been saying about the world since the 1920s, right? That doesn't make, you know, you know not, not, not everyone is comfortable with that, right? But one way or the other, you know, we should find out the truth about it, right? We should... Uh, find out whether nature really does have this computational power. And, you know, we should figure out what does it mean uh, uh, about computer science? You know, can we even learn new things about classical computing, right? I mean, this is such a, a, uh, a new perspective on computation that, you know, it, it should even have, have impacts on how we think about classical computation. Yeah, and, 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 and it has had some impacts. You know, and it should have impacts on how we think about quantum mechanics. And, you know, and over the last decade, we've seen precisely that. We've seen uh, uh, the perspective of quantum computing has changed the way that people think about quantum gravity, how they think about the black hole information paradox, uh, you know, how they think about oh, some of the deepest issues in physics. Um, and so, so that that is really what excites me. Right. And that is why I got into the field. Um, you know, for me, the, the prospect of building computers that will, you know, outperform existing computers, you know, on certain special problems. That's great. That's like that's like a, a, a cherry on the Sunday. You know, <laughs> nice. if, if, you know, and, and I hope that we manage to get it, you know, but um, uh, I, I like to joke that for me, you know, the number one application of a quantum computer uh, it's not, you know, optimization or machine learning or, you know, it's not breaking cryptography and it's not even simulating quantum mechanics, although that, that really would have some, you know, some important applications, we think. For me, the number one application is just disproving all the people who said that a scalable quantum computer was impossible. <laughs> yeah. And and you think that it is possible. We'll get there someday. So do you think that puts you in the, the optimist camp for quantum computing? Well, I mean, I, I try to, you know, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, for me, you know, optimism and pessimism are both biases, right? You know, you know, optimism, you know, sometimes is a, is a more useful bias, right? You know, like 
maybe optimists are more likely to succeed. But really, the goal is just to have the best approximation of the truths, hmm. right? So, you know, I think that, uh, uh, you know, the, the uh, as I said before, I think the burden of proof is firmly uh, uh, on those who think, you know, that there is a deep reason why quantum computers are not possible, right? You know, if, 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 if people believe that, then, you know, then, then it's their job, you know, to articulate what those reasons are, right? Because, you know, the, you know, once you, you understand, you know, uh, quantum mechanics, you know, it's like, you know, in, in some sense, this is what nature is, right? Nature is this exponentially large superposition, right? Mm. It does involve this exponential amount of computation, you know, if you wanted to simulate nature, right? Yeah. And so now if you believe that quantum computing is fundamentally impossible, then you're sort of committed to the belief that something is censoring that, right? That even though it's there in the equations, something will inevitably prevent us from exploiting it, you know, mm -hmm. from building a programmable device that will actually do it, right? And 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 so then, you know, I I I become extremely curious then. What is that principle? You know, is it like the second law of thermodynamics? You know, how does it work? You know, explain it to me. And and at least to my mind, none of the skeptics have been able to give a coherent explanation of what that principle is. You know, they've certainly tried to. You know, but 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 you know, um, to, to to me, you know, n n nothing that they've come up with has looked the slightest bit convincing to me. Right, and. So, so um, you know, now, now saying that something is possible in principle is very different from saying that it's going to happen anytime soon, right? That's a completely different question, right? You know, now, you know, if you look at uh, classical computing, I mean, Charles Babbage, you know, realized in the 1830s, you know, that you, you, know, that you could build what today we would think of as a, a universal classical computer, you know, or a Turing machine. Uh, and he tried to build it. And, you know, the uh, um, uh, machining technology of his time was just not good enough. And, you know, the interest was not great enough. And, you know, he ran out of money and, and you know, couldn't do it. Okay. And it was, a, it was more than 100 years after Babbage before the technology had really caught up with his vision. Right. You know, and it kind of sort of happened with vacuum tubes and with electromechanical relays. Then what you really needed to make Babbage's vision happen was the transistor, right? And that was only 1947, so that was more than a century, okay? And so, so those are the kind of timescales that you know that 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 you have to think about with a technology of this magnitude, right? Now I hope it will be sooner than that with quantum computing, right? And you know there because you know there is now. For, for better and for worse, there is now a worldwide race to try to actually make this happen. There are billions of dollars being invested, right? And there are now finally quantum computers with 50 and, you know, or 60 qubits, you know, that can do some very, very specialized tasks. Okay. So, um, uh, you know, now, you know, in order to really scale to millions of qubits, you know, you're going to need a, technology, which is called quantum error correction. Okay, so, you know, in order to protect the qubits from sort of being prematurely measured by their environment, uh, you know, this is this is kind of the main technological challenge uh, in, in building a, a useful quantum computer. You know, it has been since the beginning of the field. And I would say, you know, on, on, on paper, we've sort of known how to solve this problem for 25 years or so, right? But to actually get it from paper, you know, to working in the lab, you know, is an enormous engineering problem. Okay. And that's, that's, um, you know, that, that, that's kind of why we don't have, you know, uh, truly useful quantum computers yet. But, you know, what you can do is you can look at, you know, uh, how far things have come over the last 20 years, right? In terms of the, you know, how well people have been able to, you know, uh, uh, do operations on qubits, right? With how much fidelity, how accurately. And things have just improved by several orders of magnitude since when I joined the field, which was like 20 years ago, right? So, you know, they're not there yet. There's like another maybe order of magnitude or two to go. 
but you know the improvement has been enormous and if you just naively kind of tried to plot things forward then it looks like yeah in another decade or two you know why shouldn't we be you know at the point where you can start doing these uh, these quantum error correcting codes this quantum fault tolerance which would then you know uh, which should then allow you to build a truly useful device so you know so so i hope that i'm going to live to see this stuff right uh, but, you know, but, but, but those are, you know, I, I, I don't, I, I, I always refrain from forecasting, you know, how many years it's going to be. If I had any skill at that, I wouldn't be a professor. I would be an investor. <laughs> and I would be rich. Right. But, you know, okay. Yeah. So, 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 I mean, I'm, I'm an optimist in that, you know, I think it's possible in principle, you know, I'm agnostic on how long it's going to take, you know, and then, and then, you know, I guess a, a third, you know, a, a, Another axis is well, well, what it, well, once we have it, what is it going to be good for, right? And and you know, I'm an optimist that I think a quantum computer is going to be good for some things. It is going to have some uses, you know, such as simulating physics and chemistry, you know, at the atomic scale. Um, well, you know, code breaking is a famous one. You know, possibly some other applications as well. Uh, on the other hand, I think that the applications of a quantum computer are often, you know, grossly exaggerated, you know, in popular articles, right? So, you know, compared to the picture of a quantum computer, you know, that, that, that gets sold, you know, often to, to the public, you could say by comparison to that, I'm a pessimist because, you know, because, you know, there's just, you know, the, the, the truth just cannot possibly, you know, uh, 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 live up to that, to that pitch that they uh, that get sold you know and 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 that that last part i would say i'm the most confident about of anything here right because mm. you know the you know the, the fact that like a quantum computer would not just solve the np complete problems by trying all the possibilities at once that's not even controversial in the field mm. right like all the all the experts in quantum computing understand this point it's just that you know when it gets to the press when it gets to uh, investors, when it gets to the public, something gets lost in translation. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wanted to go back to something that you said about yeah. um, how it's, it's on the sort of, I guess the pessimists or the skeptics, it's on them yeah. to say why it won't work. Um, yeah. and you said that you hadn't heard any, any reason that was even remotely convincing. Right. Is there, is there maybe a reason that is the most, uh, closest to being remotely convincing? Well, I mean, I, I would say that, you know, maybe, you know, the most serious person who has tried to articulate, you know, a principle that that would make quantum computing, you know, fundamentally impossible, right? We don't mean, you know, it'll, you know, super hard, it'll take a thousand years, but, you know, we mean, you know, it, like incompatible with the laws of physics. You know, the person who's done the most to try to articulate that has been Gil Kalai. Um, and, you know, he's been, he's been at this for like 15 years and, you know, and, and basically, you know, his, uh, belief is that, you know, there will be some sort of correlated errors, you know, noise that are, co that is correlated across qubits in, in, in a way that would kill, you know, that would, that, that would violate the assumptions of, of these, uh, uh um, uh, quantum error correcting codes, you know, mm. quantum fault tolerance that I was talking about before, right? So, you know, like, the, you know, we have mathematical theorems that say that, you know, you can build a reliable quantum computer even out of unreliable components, right? These are the theorems that were proved in the 90s. And those sort of set the engineering agenda, you know, for the entire field ever since, right? These were, you know, extremely uh, uh, important theorems, okay? But any mathematical theorem, you know, makes assumptions, right? And, you know, and, and if, 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 you know, the real world violates those assumptions, then it might violate the theorem, right? So, you know, not to, you know, and, and Gil is a mathematician, Gil Kalai is a mathematician, and, you know, he, he uh, obviously understands all of that. And so, you know, what he does is he, he tries to look for ways that nature might violate the assumptions, that, that go into these fault tolerance theorems. And he says, well, you know, if the noise was correlated enough, you know, between the qubits, then maybe that would do it. Now, the problem is, um, you know, the, the types of noise that he needs to imagine in order to violate, you know, 
of the assumptions of these theorems starts to look incredibly conspiratorial, right? It starts to look like 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 nature is like some demon, you know, that is just trying to thwart quantum computation, mm. right? And furthermore, it looks like you know uh, a lot of the same types of noise, you know, that would that would thwart quantum computation. If they were actually there, then a lot of them would also thwart classical computation, hmm. right? But at that point, you could say, you know, you're, you, you, you've proved too much, <laughs> right? Like if, 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 your, if your, you know, theoretical argument also proves that, you know, you could not have an iPhone, you could not have a laptop, right? Well, you know, we, you know, we, we, we have already falsified that, yeah. right? <laughs> So, so, uh, so it's actually not at all easy to come up with, you know, principles of, of noise that would only kill quantum computation. And then, you know, you, what I like to do is to turn things around. And, you know, I, so I've had, you know, friendly debates with, uh, with, with Gil Kalai for, you know, uh, uh, since, you know, at least, you know, I don't know, 2006 or 2007 or so. And, um, you know, and, and, and what I like to ask him is, well, okay, suppose you're right, right? Suppose that uh, scalable quantum computing is not possible. Now, what that suggests is that, you know, you ought to be able to take any realistic quantum system and simulate it efficiently with a classical computer, hmm. right? Because, you know, if there was some physical system that you could not simulate efficiently with a classical computer, then, you know, by definition, we would call that a quantum computer. That does something beyond what a classical computer can do, right? You know, at least at least the problem of simulating itself, right? And so, you know, if you really believe that nothing can violate, uh, you know, the uh, not, not nothing nothing can exceed the bounds of classical computation, well, then our classical computers ought to be able to simulate all the quantum systems that occur in nature, you know, and do so efficiently, right? So then, so then I say, well, well okay, but now 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 the challenge is yours, Gil, right? Because you know what is that simulation? You know, describe it. How does it work? Yeah. Right. And so, so um, yeah. But you know, I, I think that that uh, you know, in, in, in you know, I, I I should say that that you know, even though he's a skeptic of of you know of quantum computation, you know, he believes it will never work. You know, Gill actually draws you know a very interesting conclusion from his skepticism. He says, well, you know, everyone should be working on quantum computing. You know, this is like the most fascinating subject in the world because, you know, you know, wow, when we when we really understand, you know, uh, the detailed reasons why it's impossible, then that will truly be a revolution in physics. Right. And I think that Gil is absolutely right about that. Right. And so, you know, I'm almost tempted to say that, you know, he is more on, on our side, you know, than, than the, the, you know, what, what I really don't understand are the people who say, well, oh, yeah, you know, the, you know this, this uh, quantum computing is, is impossible, you know, the, you know the, and, and, and they're not even curious about how that comes about. Like, what is it that we don't understand about quantum mechanics that makes it impossible, hmm. right? You know, like, like, like they, they, they don't even recognize that there is then a giant mystery here to be resolved. Right. You know, like I, I am, I, you know, to, to tell you the truth, like I'm, I'm totally happy if we, if we study this and, you know, and, and if, if the skeptics turn out to be right, like that's awesome. That's a revolution in physics. Yeah. Right. But what I really don't understand are the people who think, you know, that there is no mystery here to be, to be figured out. Yeah. I get. I get no. less of the, there's no mystery here and more of the, well, quantum computers are just too hard to build. We only have like, what, 10 qubits right now, but you've, yeah. you've seen now enough it's 50 progress. Or 60. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 But, yeah. Go for it. yeah. No, I mean, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, I understand, you know, like the, there's a sort of impatience, right. But mm -hmm. like, like imagine, you know, someone talking about heavier than air flight in the 1890s. Right. Mm -hmm. And they could say, well, People tried it in the 1860s. They tried it in the 1870s. They tried it in the 1880s, right? And it's just been one failure after the other, right? Yeah. And you know, and 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 how many failures until we just declare that it's impossible, right? Yeah. And I think history has taught us to be careful about that kind of thing, right? If you want to say that a technology is impossible, 
then, you know, pointing to the fact that people have tried for a long time and they haven't succeeded yet is actually not very good evidence, right? What you want is, is an argument based on physics or based on math. You know, you want a principled argument as to why it's impossible, right? Because things can be possible and just merely take a really, really, really long time, right? And, you know, and, and in the case of quantum computing, the reasons why are not even mysterious, right? We know perfectly well why it's so difficult to build a quantum computer at, at scale, right? So, um, you know, so, 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 so what, what I, you know, really look for from, from the skeptics, you know, if they really believe that it's fundamentally impossible, then they should explain why. You know, if they merely think that it's going to, you know, take a, a very long time, well, you know, they may well be right about that. You know, yes, you know, but then, you know, it, it, there's a question of how long, right? I mean, you know, like if something takes a decade, right, that, that, that might seem impossibly long by the time for a scale of a, of a startup, right? And by the time scale of, you know, the history of science, that's a blink of an eye. Yeah, definitely. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, quantum computing has its detractors. You've also had your fair share of yours. So... One of the last questions here I want to ask, uh, please yeah. set the record straight. Are you, in fact, a theoretical computer scientist, a moderately clever guy with a blog, or both? Uh, so I am a theoretical computer scientist. Uh, I am a guy with a blog. Uh, you know, whatever adjectives you want to you know, apply to me, I will, I, will, I, will, I will leave that for others to do. All right. Awesome. So okay. last three questions that I always ask my guests. Um, first one yeah. is, what do you see as the biggest problem in quantum computing currently? Okay. Well, I, you know, I mean, I mean, I think the, the, the biggest problem, you know, for, for the whole field is, well, you know, uh, uh, build components that are good enough that you can start using, you know, uh, 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 quantum error correcting codes to, you know, effectively simulate better and better and better components, right? This is, you know, the bottleneck for, for actually scaling and building a useful quantum computer. Okay. But, th but that, that's, that, that's almost too obvious in a way, right? Like, you know, like every, you know, all the, uh, you know, engineering, almost all of the engineering teams, you know, around the world are, are, you know, are, are, are trying to solve that problem, right? You know, a, a more immediate problem, uh, that, 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 um, happens to interest me is, 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 can we do anything useful or interesting before fault tolerance, hmm. right? So even when we have a hundred or 200 noisy qubits, right? You know, we just recently, as in, you know, less than two years ago, we saw, you know, the first demonstrations of quantum supremacy, you know, which yeah. just means, you know, uh, um, um, you know, doing some artificial benchmark task. But, you know, faster than we currently know how to do it with a classical computer, right? That was the big achievement by Google in, in late 2019. Uh, you know, and, and, and that built on, on theoretical work that, that I did and, you know, that some of my students and colleagues did over the past decade to try to, you know, articulate, like, what, what do you do with a 50-qubit quantum computer that is, you know, maybe useless but at least, you know, that we're pretty sure is hard to simulate with a classical computer, right? And then, you know, once you've done it, then how do you verify that, that, that you actually did it, that you got the right answer, right? So, um, you know, now, now a big challenge, you know, for the, for the next decade is going to be, you know, with these kind of noisy devices that Google and others are now building with, let's say, 50 up to a few hundred qubits, um, can you also do anything that is useful? Mm -hmm. You know, can you generate, you know, random numbers that would be cryptographically certified? You know, that's one potential use, uh, you know, or other, other kinds of cryptographic tasks. You know, can you do any, uh, simulations of quantum mechanics that are, that are, that are useful that tell physicists something that they didn't already know and that they couldn't have figured out otherwise? Um, you know, can you do anything where it is easy for a classical computer to check the answer, right? Right now, with these quantum supremacy experiments, they're kind of bottlenecked by the fact that, you, you know, even just to check the quantum computer's work, you need a gigantic su classical supercomputer, right? So, you know, can we avoid that? So th I, think, I think that cluster of problems is a, is a really big set of problems for this field for the next decade or so, you know, and they sort of, you know, they're, they're partly 
engineering problems, but also partly theoretical problems. Awesome. And then sort of the flip side of that is what do you see as the biggest um, promise or the biggest uh, potential outcome coming from quantum computing? Um, well, as as I said, for me personally, you know, the the biggest outcome is just to, to sort of rub people's faces in the reality of quantum mechanics, right? That, that, you know, I mean, to me, like, you know, if, if, if you, if you think that the large hadron collider was interesting, right? That, you know, uh, you know, finding the Higgs boson was exciting, right? If you think that LIGO, that finding gravitational waves, you know, was exciting, right? Then sort of directly demonstrating that nature has this computational power, right? That, you know, at least for some problems, it can get the, the exponential computational speed ups by harnessing the exponentiality of quantum states. I mean, that to me is, is at least as exciting as, as, as any, any physics experiment that I could think of that, you know, could possibly be on, on the near term horizon, right? Um, but now, you know, in terms of outcomes that, you know, will, will sort of affect society more broadly, I mean, you know, a, a lot of us have a hope, maybe, you know, a fantasy, right? That, um, once we have quantum computers, you know, you'll have a, a fully programmable device, you know, for simulating nature itself at the atomic scale, right? And so you, you want to know, like, I have an, you know, here's an idea for a new molecule that could be a useful drug. Right. But what does it do? Does it actually bind to, you know, a receptor in a cell in the right way? Right. I have an idea for a new high temperature superconductor. Right. But does it really work? I have an idea for a new type of battery, a new way to remove carbon from the atmosphere. Right. Um, you know, you would now have this, this window into chemistry, right? Where, you know, you just have this programmable device that can just try all these things out for you. And so, you know, one can dream that, that that will have, you know, a big impact, you know, downstream on all sorts of fields, on material science, on chemistry, on um, condensed matter physics. Um, but, you know, I have to tell you, in all honesty, that we don't know if that's true, right? I mean, because, you know, you in order in order to really be useful, it's not enough for a quantum computer to work. And it also has to be the best thing that anyone can do with their classical computers, right? And classical computers have gotten unbelievably good, you know, over the past 70 years, right? They are like the, maybe the biggest engineering triumph of our whole civilization, right? And, you know, the, the microchip fabs, you know, that, that there now are, are like, you know, someone from, you know, if, if you showed them to Alan Turing, you know, I think, you know, he would just regard it as science fiction. Right. Like it is utterly ridiculous, you know, what we are able to do with classical computing right now. And that is what you're competing against. Right. Quantum computing is only, you know, is only useful to the extent that you're able to beat that. Right. And, and, you know, the quantum chemists, you know, are actually really have gotten really, really, really good at using classical computers you know, to get approximate answers that are good enough for their purposes. Right. And so in order to realize that dream that I talked about, you know, you have to do better than the best that any of them can do. Okay. So that, 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 that's the challenge. But, but I, I, I think that, I think that there is promise there. You know, there is at least a shot at, at having a big impact on the world. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And so where can people find out more about you and what you're working on? Oh, well, I am, you know, not exactly in hiding, right? <laughs> You can go to my homepage, scottaronson.com, and uh, I've got all my talks, all my papers, um, you know, my blog. Uh, uh, I've got lecture notes from my undergraduate course. I've got popular articles that I've written for Scientific American, for the New York Times. Uh, I've got, you know, a bunch of lectures that I've given that are up on YouTube uh, that you can, you know, including for a, a couple of TEDx talks. So those would be uh, some places to get started. Awesome. Well, yeah, Scott, this has been incredible. Thank you so much for coming. Sure, on of course, of course, no problem. So 
So I only have one question since the last episode, and that I got from Ashley, who asked, I'm curious to know more about your podcast, how you decide upon your guests and your followers, etc. Which is a great question. I've already answered, but if anyone else wants to know, um, I don't decide on my followers. I appreciate all of you for following and listening to the podcast, um, but that's not something I decide on. Um, information about my followers. Um, I actually just got my Spotify wrapped. Apparently 17 of you listened to one of my podcasts on your birthday. Um, at least 17 of the people who actually listen using Spotify and have their birthdays in. Anyways, thank you for making me a part of your birthday celebration. Um, if I ever release a podcast on your birthday or you know someone who would like to get a shout out, um, I guess I'd be happy to do that. Uh, As for deciding upon the guests that I have on the show, a lot of them are pitched proactively to me. So someone will say, hey, I think you should have this person on, here's why, Um, and I'll I'll take a look at that. If the person is actually doing interesting stuff in quantum computing, I'll say yes. Um, I haven't, I don't believe I've said no to anyone, um, but I'm, I do make sure that they aren't like a quantum computing fraud before I bring them on, um, which I think is probably a good thing. Um, and I also sometimes will reach out to people um, proactively. So I reached out to Scott for this episode and said, hey, I have a podcast about quantum computing. Would you like to come on and maybe dispel some rumors and myths? Um, And he was kind enough to say yes, Um, as have all of the other people that I've um, had on the podcast. Uh, Again, if you're listening to this and you've been on, thank you very much um, for coming on. It's been great. I have enjoyed doing this so much um, and having you on the podcast. Um, Yeah, so if you have a question, a comment, or a correction for a previous episode, please reach out to me on Minds, email, or an Anchor voice message, and links for all of those are in the show notes. Okay, there are a lot of further resources today, so buckle up. The first one is the Quantum Supremacy episode that I did a long, long time ago. It's one of my most popular episodes, but if you haven't listened to it, you should definitely go back and take a listen to that after you've finished this episode, of course. The next thing is that I have created this new curriculum that I'm calling Quantum Computing Zero to Hero, and it's a curriculum that I've thrown together with a link in the show notes to a torrent file that will let you download a spreadsheet that has everything, like all the information you need. Um, And the goal basically is that I need a little bit more um, structure when I'm learning something. I like to have a plan. I like to know where things are going. And I've found that a lot of the resources that are out there will sort of get you to sort of know the basics of quantum computing-ish. And then you can't really like go beyond that. You can't read academic papers. You can't, you don't actually have the fundamentals. You just sort of can pretend that you do. And so I guess some of this comes from a little bit of guilt that I've been doing this podcast this podcast for so long, and I still feel like a little bit of a fraud. Um, people ask me questions about quantum computing, and I just don't know the answers. The other day, I found out that my understanding of how you measure the state of a trapped ion quantum computer, it was just totally wrong. And so I want to go through this course, and I'd like to do it with you. Um, more on that in a second. But yeah, I'd like to go through this course so I have a really, really strong foundation for quantum computing that I can then build off of in the future. Um, So I'm going to be adding more to the curriculum later. If you look at the file, you'll notice that it doesn't have a full full year's worth of content, which is my goal. So if you have suggestions for things that are, um, that could go in there, and so the, the criteria are it needs to be free, it needs to be quantum computing, obviously, and it needs to have something that you can use to check your knowledge, whether that's projects or exercises or quizzes or tests, things like that. Um, but it's got to have some component like that because I don't want to just like passively absorb information. I want to actually actually learn and apply things. So if you've got suggestions for that, please hit me up. And so, yeah, like I said, I want to do this with you. I'm going to be doing a live go through of the curriculum starting in the new year. Um, and I'll have more information about what times that will be Um, just so everyone's clear. I don't have that information yet, but I will be putting that out later. And the live go-through will probably take over my quantum computing life, and the podcast will um, be more background, so there might not be new episodes for a long time. Um, And so the question for that is, 
do you think that it would be valuable for me to upload the audio from the live go through here on quantum computing now? Um, so while I'm not putting out interviews, I still have some content here. Or should I just upload the recordings to my Minds page? Uh, and just to be crystal clear, the options are one, I will publish the audio on the podcast and publish the recordings, like the videos, on my Minds page so you can check them out in either place. Or two, I just publish it on the Minds page so I leave the Quantum Computing Now podcast a little bit less cluttered. So go ahead and reach out to me. Uh, let me know what you think, if you've got a preference, and if no one reaches out to me, I will make my my best judgment call. And if you don't want to miss anything, anything like any um, announcements or times that I'm going to do the um, the actual the go through, make sure you follow me on Minds. That's where all of, I'm going to put all the information about this. Okay, uh, the next resource um, is not really quantum computing related, but I know that there's a significant number of people who listen to this podcast who are in school, like me. And so I found this cool app that I use for searching for scholarships called Going Mary. It also helps you apply for them. Um, and if you're in college or high school and looking for scholarships, I really can't recommend it enough. Basically, what it does is a pretty good job of filtering out the scholarships that you don't match with and showing you ones that you match with well so you don't waste your time looking through scholarships that, like, I, I feel like everyone's had this this experience. You go through scholarship after scholarship, and it's like, Oh, well, that seems designed for literally anyone but me. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, Going Mary filters all that out and then helps you actually apply to the scholarships well. Um, this isn't sponsored by them. I just want to put that out there. But if you'd like to help me out, you can sign up for Going Mary using my referral link in the show notes. And what that does is it gives both of us a chance at winning a $1,000 scholarship from Going Mary, which is super cool. Uh, like I said, the link for that is in the show notes. Make sure you sign up with the link. Um, so that you get the chance to win a $1,000 scholarship, and I do too. As per our usual arrangement, the links to all the things that Scott and I talked about are in the show notes. And if you'd like to support me so that I can make more and better episodes, please support me on Anchor. There's a link to that in the show notes. Or send me some crypto. I've got addresses for that in the show notes. If you want to show your love but don't want to do it financially, uh, now the 30% of you who listen to this podcast on Spotify can leave a rating. If you wouldn't mind going and giving it a five-star rating, that would be much appreciated, and let me know that you appreciate what I do. Thank you for listening, and I'll have the next episode out when I get to it.